You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. So I know last time I mentioned that I'm not, I don't know if it was last time or the time before I, I know I mentioned that I'm not a huge fan of Christmas. I think we've actually mentioned it a couple of times. Probably. Um, and a lot of that's because that's the time of year where we are recording. I mean, it is Christmas season. And one of the uh, things that I just, I wanted to put out there is like, I'm not, you know, I'm not against the Christmas story or, um, or the birth of Christ. You know, I'm a fan of that. Feel like that's important yeah so um should, i think it should be a given for yeah which i mean, listen yeah, to this <laughs> yeah people well some people think that whoa that that's weird you're you're uh you know very christian but you're not into christmas and and it's really funny how uh you know the first the first option is to try to label and dismiss and then you know i've got people who say oh well you're just trying to be controversial or or you're just doing it to to stir people up you think it's funny and i'm like no, because it's kind of a lot of work to explain why I don't like Christmas sometimes. And I've actually kind of softened quite a bit um, over the years. Well, I, you've got kids, so that well, kind of... Well, not, well, no, it's not even just the kids, because even for the first couple of years, I was like, I was like nope. But within the last couple of years, um, I mean, you can ask Mickey. Uh, she, uh, she still puts up the tree herself. I don't do the, the tree thing. <laughs> um, to me, it's just a lot of unnecessary work. She still puts up the tree, takes it down. I'm just... I, but I, the, you know, and for, for years to me, I, I kind of bought into the whole like, you know, Christmas pagan holiday mm. business. Um, but then, you know, through a lot of research, I kind of realized that that's not necessarily a good reason because the jury's still kind of iffy on that, apparently. Mm-hmm. And um, also, uh, you know, when it, it was actually, I mean, it was just a couple of years ago when I heard a Christmas episode. They were talking about celebrating. I think it was. I think it was Naked Bible. I think it was Heiser <laughs> when he was talking about. Okay, well, what do you call the days of the week if you're going to try to fully separate yourself from paganism? You know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with with repurposing um, pagan material, right? And, and so that's and and then he talks even about you know parts of the Psalms being you know from the Baal cycle. Um, then of course Paul you quotes a pagan poet uh, to make one of his points. But I still am not a huge fan of Christmas, and, and largely it is because of the, uh, it's just the indignant attitude that so many Christians have about the, quote, war on Christmas, um, mm-hmm. or, the, or, or just the fact that they'll, they'll want to just berate people about, oh, it's Jesus' birthday, you have to keep Christ in Christmas, while they've got the, the latest circular, um, Black Friday circular in the other hand that they're just looking at voraciously, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, it, no, it, so that's, it's kind of like this double standard This that, oh, we're going to celebrate one of what should be one of our most holy times, according to tradition. Now there's some controversy on the date, mm-hmm. but uh, one of our most holy times, and we're going to do it by produce, uh, participating in consumerism and having bad attitudes while we're doing this by well, being mean well, to, to me, people. it's not even to me. It's not even the consumerism. It's just the, it's just the the blatant like, 
I don't know, kind of, it's almost like an animosity that a lot of people bring to well, it. Well, and that's what I'm saying. You know, like when, because you and I both worked retail for years. And mm-hmm. um, I would work Black Friday on at Sears. And I would literally like come home with a fever just from running and the wear and the tear of moving product and trying to keep mm-hmm. people happy. And yeah, the attitude of, I deserve this. I got here early. I'm fighting the crowds. I deserve to have whatever it is. And then the, the, the sheer rage towards me as the middleman who had no control over a lot of this stuff. Right. And then to sit there and say, Merry Christmas. I, I don't, or, you know, wearing the, the <laughs> Christian t-shirt. The Jesus is the reason I'm beating you up for this toaster. Yeah. And- you know, um, <laughs> that, so, yeah, but there's, that's, that's mainly it nowadays. Um, is that I just, I can't, I, I can't see someone being in earnest so for, G, you know, this is the time for Jesus' birthday, talking about war on Christmas, all that stuff's completely bogus. Um, so there's that and, um, and Christmas music, but let's we should not, move on. Yeah, let's not even go into that because... I think I've I think I already covered that. Uh, yeah. I think we talked about that. Uh, and you know, we we are not I, I should put out there we're not Scrooge, we're not the Grinch. Um we we do really love the message and meaning and I keep threatening to do like a Christmas celebration on September 11th because uh now uh we pretty much know that that was probably the real date. Right. Yes, there's a lot of a uh, lot of scholarship gone into finding the date. Um so and we'll have a we'll actually refer you to a good podcast yeah, episode. It's not, not ours, but it's a good podcast episode that explains how and why that date came to be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, because I'm not going to go into that. Oh that's man, just that's too that's, much. You're, you're getting. I mean, we would have to do a lot of prep work for that. So, I mean, I mean, we do a lot of prep work anyway. We have to do a, a whole lot more. Well, it's just second. that's just beyond my field of expertise. So, um, and I think why reinvent the wheel when somebody else has already got the material and it's so well done. Let them run with it, because I'd just be ripping off his stuff anyway. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's the thing. We don't want to just repeat stuff you can, well, that someone else has already packaged up for you. But the, um, that being said, though, if you're in Norman, uh, we introduced Emily to this last night. It's the Downs Family Christmas Lights. Um, it's a fundraiser for the uh, food bank, um, Cleveland County Food Bank or Norman, City of Norman Food Bank. I'm not sure exactly which one it is. but um, it's great. Um, it is actually a light show that is synchronized to music. There's an FM transmitter uh, at the place, so you tune your radio. FM transmitter. Yeah, FM okay. transmitter. That's not what it sounded like. So, so there's an FM transmitter at the place. You tune your radio in, and you, you get you get a uh, you know free. It's free to go, but they do ask for donations to support the food bank. So um, if you're into Christmas stuff, um, by the time this airs, I'm not sure if there's going to be much time, but maybe next year. Um, but we it did was that. cool. Yeah, it was fun. So and I can and, and even though it was Christmas stuff, we really enjoyed the artistry of the whole thing. Yeah. So <laughs> we're not complete and total curmudgeons. So not but, completely. Yeah. So speaking of curmudgeons, wait, we have Abraham. We, we have Abraham. <laughs> we're back to Abraham. We're we're back to Abraham, and um, yeah, I think we just ought to keep going with him because this really is foundational to everything that's going to come after in the Bible. Um. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time because we do talk a lot about Abraham in in church when we go to Old Testament. He's one of the go-to stories. So I just wanted to like bring out a few points 
about um, kind of some of the things that were, mm, they, they had a, a major impact, but we may not realize how impactful it was. So uh, we're going to go through, and I think we're actually going to get through the Battle of the Four Kings, which I think is an interesting passage. And we're going to talk a little bit about Melchizedek. Um, Melchizedek uh, often causes a lot of speculation and uh, questions because he's just kind of a unique figure in the Bible. So we'll talk about more about why that as we move through. Okay, so uh, well, where do we leave Abraham, Abraham last time? Was it coming back from Egypt? He had just left Egypt. And so he has uh, been kicked out. Pharaoh has basically said, what have you done? Why did you trick me? And Abraham had pawned you know, Sarah off as his sister instead of his wife. And now um, we're returning and we're, we're being reminded that Lot is with him. And Lot is his nephew. Now, Lot was traveling with him because Lot's father had died and Abraham didn't have any children. And Right. So Lot probably was the heir apparent, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of see that. And we're actually going to get, uh, I don't know if we'll get to it this week. We'll just see how fast oh, we go. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. It, yeah. That would be the, the guy who's, mm-hmm. but he gets Abraham didn't have any kids. He gets removed from the running as heir, and uh, that story is very yeah, But that was Abraham's older brother's son, mm-hmm. right? So he, yeah. So basically Abraham is managing the place until Lot can take it over. Right. And so we're, we're. We've got this guy who he's with Abraham because he thinks it's going to benefit him. And there's actually some debate because when they came out of uh, Egypt, you know, Pharaoh had given Sarah and Abraham all of these, um, all of these gifts, Mm -hmm. um, camels, donkeys, sheep, servants, and that's going to come into play. We talked some of that on the divorce episode with Hagar. Yep. And um, they think that possibly the fact that Abraham received so much wealth from um, Pharaoh that this started to kind of be what was causing the schism between the two of them, that there was some jealousy and animosity because Abraham was uh, being so honored. And Lot, he's ignored during that whole passage in Egypt. He's never spoken of once. Hmm. And then... I hadn't considered that, but... Well, and that's the fun part. When you go back and you read what the Jewish scholars are talking about, and they're, they're trying to fill in the blanks, and they're trying to understand... And they're pulling on ancient traditions a lot of times. Sometimes they're making some stuff up just to fill in blanks. Uh, sometimes they aren't all, always very consistent. But when you start to find like overwhelming story after story that says the same thing, mm-hmm. that makes me think there's got to be some element or basis in truth. Um, but And most of the stuff has no bearing on the spiritual truth of the, the, the account. Right. Or even, yeah. Yep. That makes sense. It just kind of... Helps you set it in there in more of a, a historical setting. Yeah, it kind of reminds you that these people were human too, because I I think one of the one of the one of the ways the church kind of goes off the rails is is we we almost deify the the biblical figures, mm-hmm. um, that oh well they were so holy they always did everything exactly the way God wanted them to do, and if you ever read the text, you're like, man, these guys were messed up. They really are. And, yeah, I mean, and they were messed up, and they and they messed up. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know, that's that's why I I like to talk about. And this is one of the things I've kind of said for a while is, you know, when whenever you um when you have friends, you don't, you know, a lot we like we like to spend time in the church likes to spend a lot of time in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong, New Testament's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here without it. Um, but the um. 
we we spend a lot of time there because we we like the theology. We like how we like systematic theology. We like the way it's broken down into very bite-sized nuggets. Mm-hmm. We can quickly put a principle up there that we need to adhere to and move on. Um, but that's not that's not how we get to know people. Like and and you know we talk about it's you know there's a there's a real popular saying you know Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship. We we can get into that whole deal later, but if if that's really what it is, then how do you get to know people? How do you get to know your friends? Well, well, for me, I like to go and grab coffee or another beverage, uh, just depending on on who it is and what they're into. And you know, we sit and we chat and we tell stories. And mm-hmm. basically, the, the thing I love about the Old Testament is it's kind of God just going like, "Hey, there was this one time when me and Abraham <laughs> did this." And you wouldn't believe what he said to Pharaoh about his sister. Uh, you know, it's to me when you get when you start reading the Bible, and I don't I don't take this the wrong way. You start reading it with imagination mm-hmm. when you can see the humanity on the characters. It really it humanizes them, and it it, it glorifies makes, God. It glorifies God, but it it makes God. And I don't want to say more relatable because man, that that just seems like I'm reducing things. But it, it kind of, you understand more of his heart. You understand more of, of, you know, he thought this was a funny enough story or a good enough story. Because some of these stories are funny. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually one of the things, you know, I, I, I want to, we need to do a Bible is Funny episode uh, before too long. But some of this stuff is just God saying, you know, this, this one time, uh, man, yeah, I got to tell you about the time David, when he was just a young pup, you know, like. All this stuff, it, it just, to me, that's when you really start having fun with it. You know, break it out. Re- read it in your head in a different voice. Read it out loud in a different mm-hmm. voice. Um, go, go, watch, um, go watch Fiddler on the Roof. And then, and then think about those characters reading biblical lines. Well, I, I think that's when we can stop putting them in those illustrations that we've seen of the Bible, the children's Bibles. Uh, stories when we stop looking at them through the view you know the lens of veggie tales and uh, you know which are great educational tools don't get me wrong um, yeah, now but, veggie tales can be helpful uh-huh. and, and we should definitely you know i i think i think you know it's definitely hokey I think but it's, it's it's so it makes fun of itself so much in the right way yeah like, i didn't realize i didn't realize i was an adult uh with my girls watching i'm like this is like very self-referential. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's hilarious. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, and I, and my girls watched it, and we still sing the song. Uh, you know, anybody loses their hairbrush, we have to break in, break yeah. into. Yeah, but the, but the thing is that that's a good introduction, but don't get stuck there, right? And because I actually even joked when I was teaching uh, college and had a lot of kids coming in who were going into the Christian Ministries department. I'm like, y'all guys just need to sit down and watch all the Veggie Tales. Just so you know mm-hmm. the stories. But yeah, if we can engage the imagination and, and start to to see these people as flesh and blood, I think one of the things it does, it shows how much God is willing to interact with humanity. Mm-hmm. And if he can be this patient with Abraham, because Abraham takes forever to get it right. Yeah. And uh, there's a tradition that there's 10 trials in Genesis that Abraham goes through. And each time he goes through one, he becomes a little bit more focused, a little bit more wise and discerning, but it takes 10 trials. So if God can be this patient with Abraham, mm-hmm. how patient is he going to be with me? Yep. 
And that, that's encouraging because now Abraham's not just this perfect guy who got up and went when God called him, because it seems to be like the main thing we hear about him. But yeah, that, that's, we like again, we, we tend to almost deify people. We will never use those words in the church, mm-hmm. uh, at least most teachers never would. But we get to that point where we, we make them into these little perfect representations of God on earth, and they're not. No. And, and back to, I guess, to kind of wrap up my, my previous point about stories is, you know, I say this all the time, that the Old Testament is just a series of us screwing it up <laughs> and God fixing it. Yeah, it, it really is. And if we get honest in our reading, I think that's hard to miss. And so in, in this, we've come out of Egypt. Lot is uh, with Abraham. They're, they're starting to have some problems. There's problems with the, the herdsmen mm-hmm. because they've got such big flocks that the land is not supporting them. So right there, that tells you something about their numbers. This is not just some wandering little peasants. This is, like we said in the last episode, this is a city on the move. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you said that, I actually thought of the, the TV show, Hell on Wheels. Oh, and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's actually, that's great. That's a great illustration. Um, for those of you who have not seen the show Hell on Wheels, um, if you're into kind of action adventure stuff. Uh, Westerns. Period pieces. Um, that's, uh, yeah, it's set right after the Civil War. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting because, I mean, it kind of resolves its original plot lineup but it t- it goes on a major journey um but it's it's this guy he gets involved not to give too much away but he gets involved in the railroad the transcontinental the transco- railroad. yes that one the transcontinental railroad and building the first transcontinental railroad mm-hmm. and um th- whenever you know whenever you build so much of the railroad everyone puts their stuff on the cart so, you know on the train cars you move a little farther down the track and the um the city Basically, it was a small town that moved with the railroad mm-hmm. track, and there was a bar, and there was a there was a church that they disassembled and reassembled every time. There was a a, a brothel that they, that can't they, have a western without it, but that they tore down and and took with them. But it was, um, you know, so it was this city, and so when you hear the term "hell on wheels," um, that's where that term comes from because there was so much drinking and gambling and prostitution going on, and they would always. They were typically set up at at the edge of the next town, mm-hmm. and so this was. They would just it started. People started saying there was so much evil stuff going in there. It's just hell that's come to town on wheels. So it became known as hell on wheels. So that's where the, little your little etymology lesson. Uh, <laughs> and, and not saying that that you know Abraham traveled with bars and brothels and no, but there there may have been there there may have been but but no i like i like it if you want to talk about a mobile community mm-hmm. and 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 traveling people and you want to put it in a context that's easy to understand and something you can uh so if you want to put it in something that's easy to understand easy to visualize yeah that's that's fantastic illustration for for moving a, a large group of people around because that would be i mean I, I don't think we understand the magnitude and even though hell and wheels would, would would have been separated by millennia and we're definitely looking at mechanical devices mm-hmm. even the the trouble they had to go through kind of starts to open our minds up you, well no you're looking at mechanical devices but they also did have cattle that went along with mm-hmm. them because they had to have meat i mean i want to say I need to look this up, but I heard, I I heard that the average uh, caloric intake for a rail wor- railroad worker on the transcontinental railroad. This was something. Uh, it it was actually in my health 
my uh, health class in college mm-hmm. was something like 17,000 calories a day mm-hmm. um, because they were working so hard. And so you get, uh, they did have to transport cattle, and they probably had horses going along with them to help take care of the the. Well, and, and the can you imagine they're they're eating know, beans and grains? Can you imagine? Oh man, that was like the st- probably the stinkiest <laughs> camp. Well, and I'm just thinking about how much of that you have to eat to get that many calories. And so, I mean, they were eating all the time. So, it, well, it's yeah. So it was a huge deal. So um, yeah, huge undertaking. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just the mechanical stuff because people did have horses. Uh, you had and you did have some people taking cattle. You along. had the mechanical aid is kind of yeah. You had a, like a little bit. Yeah. So to you know you you were but you uh, still didn't have like a crane loading your stuff. You st- everything still had to be thrown on on hand. I mean yeah. I mean the you know I think probably being able to transport even more like uh, shelter uh, mm-hmm. things to protect. But you know that's a little bit more necessary in that part of the United States than it would have been in the yeah. desert. Yeah, we um, need more more uh, shelter from cold and things mm-hmm. like that rather than than just shade. So. But but yeah, it's just but even though there's this. this distinctions, mm-hmm. I think it can start to give you a visual uh, or even, you know, something with the circus moving. I, I, the, yeah. the whole whole communities, they work together, they're interdependent. And so when we talk about Lot and Abraham separating, we kind of like play it off like, oh, they just went their separate ways. No, we're dividing a town. Right. This is, can you imagine, uh, you know, even us moving, no, we're way more mobile today than we are now. I mean, you live two and a half hours away, but, you know, there was a time and place when that wouldn't have happened because right. you would have been needed to have worked on the family farm or, mm-hmm. you, you know, there would have been some role that you and your wife and children would have filled that kept the community going. And that's, that's really where they were. They, they, they were interdependent. They, they needed each other to protect from marauders and uh, raiding caravans that might come through. They needed uh, mm-hmm. each other to, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. And, and if you don't have the people to do it, then there, there becomes a problem. And I think that we forget that this is not just, oh, okay, Abraham and Lot shook hands and said, see ya. I, th- yeah. This was a big deal. And then the fact that Lot was the heir apparent. Well, and, and it's interesting too, um, that because he was the heir apparent, I mean, there there has to be some kind of schism. I mean, even though it doesn't necessarily say that they, you know, other than the the sheep getting so big, because they had divided property. Right. If he was the heir, he would have been there to help work the properties uh, until Abraham died, and then he would have taken all of it. Yeah. And so you have Abraham, who you know, Lot's probably got a little bit of that, like the uh, the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Just give me my stuff now. Mm-hmm. Uh, going on. Hadn't thought about that, but yeah. And and Abraham's going, no, I'm holding on to the promises of God, um, but I'll, I'll give you, tell you what, I'll give you the older brothers. I'll give you half of all of it. Yeah. And even when they divide, you know, Lot looks at the land and he sees the well-watered plains and mm-hmm. he says, I'm going to take that part. He, he didn't uh, say, hey, let's, you know, you go to that side of the well-watered plains and I'll go to this part. He says, no, mm-hmm. I, this is what I want. So we get a little bit of insight into Lot's character. And he uh, goes towards the city of Sodom, and the Bible gives you a little foreshadowing. This, mm-hmm. The inhabitants of Sodom are very wicked, and uh, he goes there to live. So there, there is a separation, but there, there's, um, we're going to get into why that separation was not complete. And uh, so basically what happens, there's a coalition of kings 
that rises up and they decide that they're going to conquer all of the cities where Sodom and Zoar and Gomorrah mm-hmm. uh, are, are located. And they come in and they decimate the cities. They loot the cities. They take all the people captives. Uh, they, they are evidently got some serious power to them. They are not, um, you know, they're not something to sneeze at. Yeah. And, and Abraham's hanging out on the, the bad, the badlands basically where no one wants to go. So he's kind of protected. Yeah. And he didn't have to get involved. And I think that's the, the interesting thing. And I think that tells us something about Abraham when he finds out that Sodom's, um, you know, been destroyed or been conquered, mm-hmm. he could have gone, oh, well, that's too bad. Right. But because I think it's very telling that he, when he realizes Lot is among those who have been captured, he immediately gathers up his men, 318 strong men, and he takes them to battle and he basically kicks butt. Mm-hmm. And he does what none of the other kings can do. I mean, Sodom was a city that had all the defenses for a city mm-hmm. at that time, and they couldn't defend themselves. And here's this nomad that he can go in and take on the, these challenging armies. Yeah, which is really funny because we always see Abraham painted as some kind of frail old man who can barely get himself around. Uh, he's always portrayed always as kind of almost having dementia because <laughs> of the visions of God and, and, and things like that. You know, and and so when we see this, that no, he he was a he actually had some military strategist mindset to him. And this is the first mention of warfare in the Bible. Okay, before this, we don't have any warring, and it's very interesting that Abraham comes out of nowhere and and just, I he he does almost the impossible, and so I think we need to stop and think about who that makes him and how, how that should help shape us, that he could fight these battles. He was not timid. He was not weak. He didn't have dementia. He was somebody right. who was a threat. And, but the other thing, too, is this tells us that Lot still in his, not only does he care about Lot, but if he's going to, to uh, go and get Lot, there, he's still being kept in that line for or inheriting, because okay, here's the thing: if you don't have someone to to follow you, if you don't have a su- succession established, then you really don't have dominion. You've got to have somebody to hand things off to. This is one of the the huge points when we if we get into Samuel and Chronicles and Kings, that in order to actually be a king, you can be a conquering leader. But to be a king, you have to have a son to inherit the throne. Hmm. So this is Abraham saying, I'm protecting part of the promises because I've got to keep my heir. There's got to be someone to follow me. Sure. So now I think a lot of times we forget that God's promises, they, they are generational very much in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and that we have to keep these family lines intact. And that's what's going on here. Right. And that's actually something you're talking about, the generational thing. I just want to touch on that. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of a this way off track of what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, I thought it was interesting. You know, we a lot of people want to talk about generational sin, um, generational curses, things like that. Um, now, 
I personally lean toward, you know, you can you can learn patterns mm -hmm. um, from people. And sure, there are, th there are patterns and behaviors that are kind of some inherited and some are taught. But um, I think in the kind of the deliverance movement, um, we see a lot of people, you know, we got to break off these inherited generational mm -hmm. sins of your great, great grandfather and things like that. Now, and, and, you know, the Bible clearly states that man's now, you know, God's holding people responsible for their own sins mm -hmm. in one area. But, you know, he talks about uh, visiting, uh, revisiting sins on the third and fourth generation. Mm -hmm. We got to think about the society at the time. Three and four generations, that was typically everyone that was alive at the time. Right. That wasn't, you know, we think of generations and we think of, you know, people who aren't having kids till they're 35 and might not, you know, their, their kids might not know their grandparents. And it forget would, about the great grandparents. Yeah, and forget about the great grandparents. So third and fourth generation, you know, because you're having people who are having kids when they're really young, those people are all alive and likely living in the same house. Right. So that's, um, that's kind of where we get that. So it's not, it's not like some kind of carryover that gets tacked onto your DNA um, from your, from your great grandparents who one time, you know, played with a Ouija board, you know, it's different. And, and you know, in, in Ezekiel, God says uh, very clearly that the, the sour grapes the father eats will not set the son's teeth on edge. Yeah. And, and that's the idea that we're all going to be responsible for ourselves and it's our individual sins that we're going to pay for. It's our individual goodness that we're going to be rewarded for. And that's the beautiful thing about uh, how Judaism evolves um, right. is that it becomes very much about personal responsibility, our personal relationship mm -hmm. with God. And in that personal relationship, we then care for our community. Right. Our community doesn't determine um, who we are, we still have to make that choice. And we see that reflected very much in Christianity mm -hmm. today, maybe to the point that I'd throw out there that it would be excessive, that we forget that there is an obligation to the community. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, that might be something for us to pick back up. Yeah. So that was just a quick aside. Mm -hmm. um, so wanted yeah. to throw that out there, talking about generational things. Well, and well, and we're talking about spiritual things. This is also the first mention that we have of the Rephaim. Uh, they're okay. a part of this this battle, um, and they uh, are the descendants of the Nephilim. And the Rephaim are going to show up again when Abraham, sorry, Moses and mm -hmm. Joshua begin to take over the Promised Land, and they are considered to be the giants. And mm -hmm. so, this is. Uh, it's very interesting that they show up here because if we look at um, Abraham and Moses, you're going to find a whole lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wait to go into some of those until we get to the Melchizedek uh, portion of things because we're actually, we're almost there. So Abraham, uh, he wins. And uh, so we're- And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> Did you just quote yep. Monty Python? Yep. Okay. Uh, Genesis 14.11, the invaders seized all the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah, took their possessions, and went their way. They took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother. His possessions departed, for he had settled in Sodom. And so uh, I just kind of give you some idea of where we're at. Abraham gets the 318 men. I wanted to study this more. I didn't get a chance. We can come back later. 318 is like a major number in ancient worlds. Uh, it, it's even... Um, it's even the number of men that were killed in the Iliad 
whenever they okay. were attracting, attacking Troy. And so there's some significance there. I would like to know more of what it is. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, a make or break thing, but those are the kinds of things I get curious about. And, uh, but when Abraham returned from defeating Shalamander, uh, the, uh, oh, sorry, Shal- Shed, Shedoglamore. Yeah, I can't even say it. Okay, the king, the bad guy, Abraham kicked his butt. <laughs> and so uh, that's why synonyms are great. And he is greeted by the king of Salem, better known as Melchizedek. Okay. Now, Salem is an ancient name for Jerusalem. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Are you, you, yeah. Salem, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Got it. And so <laughs> he he's the ancient, yeah. He's the ancient king of Israel, and that's going to come into play when David takes throne. That he, he David establishes Jerusalem as his as his capital, and that's the reason why so much of Jesus' story happens in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting here because Melchizedek um, he approaches Abram, he he brings him food, he brings him bread, he he blesses him, and it, it's just kind of out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This guy just shows up and then he leaves. And and this is what he says to Abraham. This is this is important. Blessed be Abram of God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your foes into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, first off, that tenth of everything, that has absolutely nothing to do with tithing. Okay. That has nothing to do with the Levitical law, cultic observance. This is standard ancient Near East practice mm-hmm. to show honor for a great king. It has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with kingship. It's, it's all about, it's about politics. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's about, yeah, it's about kingship specifically. And when you start looking at the divine council worldview and the, the fact that God is going to reclaim all the earth, and when you start talking about kingship, now we're talking about something that's very important and central to biblical faith. Okay. And I can't put all the pieces together for you right now, but we're going to, we'll, we'll put this in the show notes. <laughs> we'll put this in the show notes, but Melchizedek, here's the interesting thing. He is identified as a priest and a king. And this is very common mm-hmm. in, in every other ancient culture, except for Israel, their priest, their king was their priest. Mm-hmm. Because their king was the embodiment of their God on earth. And we talked about this with Pharaoh. Uh, he's just the easiest one to identify. Yeah. And then the, uh, is it the Sumerians mm-hmm. who worship Marduk? Mm-hmm. And they, they uh, you know, the, the king was the representation of Marduk. You know, yeah, yeah. So that's, there's another one that's easy to grab hold of. Yeah. And, and the thing is, this was normal. And what most people don't realize when Moses went to. Real quick on that before you get in there, uh-huh. uh, that, that's actually because that's actually really funny because the separation of church and state is actually a very new thing in uh-huh. the, in terms of world history. Uh-huh. Um, it's only a couple hundred years old, and even I mean up until I mean up until uh, goodness gracious, uh, up until like seven, you know, when when was the U.S. founded? Seventeen seventy six. That's Declaration of Declaration of Independence. Up until then. You still had kings and queens lording over things and ruling by divine right. Ruling by yeah, by divine right. Um, 
using that as as their claim of authority. Mm-hmm. So this idea that you know we wanted to we talk about it, and I just wanted to throw this out because it's not such an it's not just an ancient idea, right? It's very there's it's very close in the world history. I mean, we don't see. Um, you know, and especially in Europe, we don't see the the king. We, they didn't see the king or queen as the representation or embodiment of God, but they believe they were empowered to rule by God. Well, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, you know, obviously you get into Henry the Eighth and all of his wives and mm-hmm. the separation mm-hmm. of the Anglican Church from the Catholic Church, and um, I can't remember the the name for the monarch, but there is a very distinct uh, title of their role within the church as the they are the ones who are ruling, appointed by God, and it's through this divine decree that allowed them to have that power, and that's still that's still part of the makeup of the the British monarchy yeah. is that the kings and queens inhabit that role, so it's still occurring today. Sure. Uh, it, it, in a more diluted form. Right. But. So, yeah. So it's not just. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we get to thinking that, oh, we're so advanced. Right. Um, again, that's one of my pet peeves. Well, and the thing is, uh, when when God told Moses, hey, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. We know that that Moses says, you know, I stutter. I can't talk. And I love the Hebrew there because uh, it's just fun. A little fun uh, idiom. It doesn't say I stutter. It says I'm an also again. And so, because they didn't have an actual word for stutterer, but that's what it, it means. So literally, I'm also again. Um, and, that's probably us too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> most, so Moses, uh, you know, he, he resists this idea that he's supposed to be the one to speak on behalf of God. It's very interesting. He's okay with leading the people. Mm-hmm. He's okay having that position of authority. But to speak on behalf of God, that's what intimidates him. And that should scare all of us. Well, it really should because, <laughs> I, okay, my little rabbit trail. Um, one of the things about every true prophet in the Old Testament, they never volunteered for the job. Right. Matter of fact, when God called them, they resisted. They understood that this was like the most daunting task that any human being could be called to do. And they knew the consequences because prophets usually didn't fare well in Judaism. And, you know, uh, we can even look at Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. He didn't fare well under Judaism. And so when somebody tells me today, oh, I'm a prophet, I just turn and walk away. I, I don't even need to hear from them because if you've got to tell me you're a prophet or that you, you prayed to become a prophet, you wanted to be a prophet, I, I kind of think there must be something wrong with you. You, you probably don't understand what a true prophet is. Um, and I'm a little, you know, I'm a little harsh on that, but I've also spent a lot of time studying prophets. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> that's. So where were we? Where were we? Well, Melchizedek, oh, sorry, we're back on Moses and Aaron. So uh, God tells Moses, says, fine, if you don't want to be the one to speak, then we will let Aaron speak. Aaron can uh, be the mouthpiece. Oh, yeah. And this is where we begin to get that division between the ruling powers and the priestly powers. Mm -hmm. And guys, that wasn't plan A. That was plan B. God just, he, he allowed this to happen because it was a concession to, to Moses lack of faith, honestly. Right. And 
this was not how it was supposed to be. The, the king was supposed to be the prophet. And I know that's, that's going to be very controversial for some people, the idea that God would alter his plan to accommodate human... Um, Frailties. Yes. Reluctancy. But we see this throughout the scripture. And, and it, even he... Well, even, we see Abraham negotiating with God over Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. later. I mean, we see um, Moses uh, telling God, hey, don't destroy these people. Right. What, what's going to happen if, you know, and basically, you know, God tells Moses, well, you know what, we're going to start over basically doing the same thing with you that we did with Abraham. Mm-hmm. And, and Moses is like, nope, I'm not for that. Yeah. And he won't step into it. And, and so Melchizedek, he predates the, the priesthood of Aaron. And he is the ideal of what the, the priest for the one true God should look like. Mm-hmm. And this is why in, when uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes, references Melchizedek, and it's all through Hebrew, so I'm not even going to give you all the, all the references. Sure. Uh, when he quotes that, or references Melchizedek, he's saying this is the true pattern. This is the way it's supposed to be. And he also points out that Melchizedek doesn't have a mother and father. This has led a lot of people erroneously to think that Melchizedek was some kind of divine being. He wasn't. We have no evidence for that. He's a human being. What the, that's kind of an, a different way of saying he didn't have a mother and father who were priests. Right. He, he didn't inherit this because his, this is a family well, it's business. Like, is, it, is it Jeremiah who says, I'm not, the, not a prophet or the son it's of a prophet? prophet. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically saying, this isn't part of my family. I haven't studied to be a prophet. Mm-hmm. And so it's that same kind of verbiage that you would see uh, in. Is that yeah? Well, kind of what are your what we're looking at? Yeah. There? Well, and the, and the thing is, this also people have said Jesus couldn't be a priest because he's not a Levite. He's not from that tribe. Mm-hmm. Well, this is Jesus returning to this this standard that was in play before Moses and Aaron. The way right. it was really supposed to be that Melchizedek he he is the example of what was supposed to happen. Right. And so. And it's very interesting because he he uses some titles that have never been used before in the Bible. Creator of heaven and earth, that's a new one. Um, God, uh, the God Most High, never heard before. And of course, we are still. To be fair, we're still pretty early on. We're still well, and that's that's the thing. This is the reason why knowing these chapters is so important. Yeah, because this is the foundation. Right. If you know this, then everything else that follows after is going to. Um, it's going to fall into place because we have not even reached the end of the creation story. Okay. According to, to Jewish tradition, the creation story is, we still got a few chapters before we get there and I'm, I'll let you know when it happens. But uh, okay. yeah, because that's, that's, that's something I'm not familiar with, but I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah. Maybe reading a little bit ahead. <laughs> and so, but Melchizedek, he, he is proving a fact. And the fact is the worship of the true God is still happening. Despite what happened at Babel, people right. all over the world still know the truth, and they are still seeking God. And so Abraham's not the only one out there. Yeah, and the, and it's really funny because we don't hear about that in the church ever. Like, it mm-hmm. was kind of funny because uh, we're we're going to link to this in the show notes of uh, the Naked Bible. Mm-hmm. He, Heiser does a whole podcast just he on He actually Mel- does, I think it's three to four podcasts it, on Melchizedek alone. Alone. Yeah, so we can't even begin to summarize that uh, any of that 
Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of giving the high point some stuff to let you know why he's an important figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to link to this so you can go listen if you're if you're more curious. But yeah, we I never even heard the name until a couple years ago, I think. Unless I mean, I, I'm sure I read over it many times and just kind of was like, oh, well, there's a priest here and stuff. But I didn't realize the significance. It, it, to me, it's like, oh, yeah, there, there's a priest to God Most High mm-hmm. before Abraham. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're told that everyone in the world was evil until the Israelites moved to Egypt, you know, or moved out of Egypt or, or, or sometime when, when in there. Abra- when Abraham was called, then this is when God kind of reasserted himself on the earth. And, but yeah, everyone was evil before this point. Yeah. And it's like much like the Protestants look at the Reformation, the Baptists look at the Reformation anyway. <laughs> that there were no there were no real Christians until Martin Luther, right? But somehow we're not Lutheran. <laughs> uh, yeah, we <laughs> let's not but go I, down I that trail. Um, but and what's really interesting is um, the Melchizedek kind of captured the imagination of people. And there are so many writings on him. Philo has him as the personification of the Logos. And if mm-hmm. you know Greek, then you know that John opens up with Jesus being the Logos or the Word. Right. Uh, in Qumran, he is this eschatological figure who he's going to come back at the, the day of the Lord, uh, leading the Holy Ones. And You say in Qumran? Uh-huh, Qumran. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so there's writings in there. Uh, Christians, uh, we see him as a prototype for Jesus, and I think that's accurate. Um don't go too far. He's for, not for divine. His, for his role, but not his yes. substance. Yes. And um, in rabbinic lit, he's a righteous figure who takes his place with Elijah, David, and Joseph as one of the messiahs. Yeah, I did say one <laughs> of the messiahs. Because in Judaism, there's more than one messiah. And we'll, we'll talk about that some, too. Well, uh, I mean, if messiah just means anointed. Yes. I mean, anointed of God. So, yeah, you can, mm-hmm. I mean, David. There's, there's a record of that happening. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel coats him with some oil. Uh, yeah. But what, what's interesting is because Melchizedek did uh, predate uh, the, the uh, laws given at Sinai and even the laws given to Abraham, because Abraham hasn't gotten the, the requirement for circumcision yet. Right. And it's, it's on the horizon. But because that... He shows up before that when the Jews in Alexandria and Alexandria was in Egypt, there was a large population of Jews uh, and they had began to work for converts. And this was shortly before Jesus was born. Um, there's even speculation that there could have been some overlap between Philo and, and Jesus. Um, okay. I don't know how accurate that is. I'd have to check that out. But that still gives you roughly the time frame. And so while they're in Alexandria, and this is the, the place of learning in the, in the ancient world, yep. and most of y'all who've studied history will cry when I talk, you know, if anybody talks about the Library of Alexandria, because it, it burned and we lost. Man, uh, yeah. Don't take a book to Alexandria. <laughs> right. It was, so yeah, just a quick aside for those of you who don't, or who are not familiar, it was one of the largest libraries of the ancient world. It was probably the largest library mm-hmm. of the ancient world. Um, any ship coming into the uh, the Nile Delta there was it is that where it is mm-hmm. up there in the Delta? Uh, any any ship who was docking at Alexandria was uh, searched for books. Any books that were found on the ship were taken. If you were lucky, they made a copy and returned it. But you might not be lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you may not be staying long enough for the for the scribe to to mm-hmm. copy it. So, but and yeah. this is where the Septuagint came from, with the Greek copy of of the Old Testament okay. was was written because it was such a level of learning, and Ptolemy wanted a copy of the Hebrew Scripture. Gotcha. And Ptolemy okay. was one of Alexander the Great's four generals. Mm-hmm. So you begin to see how all of this begins to to play out in just, history. Just mind blowing. Oh yeah. But what they, when these Jews in Alexandria began to say, hey, we want to make converts, they ran into the same problem that early Christians did. Do you have to perform circumcision on converts? And this doesn't help recruitment rates. <laughs> I mean, the women are fine with it. Men, not so much. So they began to appeal to the priesthood of Melchizedek as a forerunner and a prototype for those outside of Judaism not having to be circumcised. And I thought that was very interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Because now Paul's not just being this extreme radical. He's actually building on a tradition that had already been established. Yeah. And established, you know, anywhere from a hundred years before, three to a hundred years before um, his time. That's that's really cool. I like that. (laughs) So. I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, so Melchizedek shows up and this is what's, why this encounter is so important, because after Melchizedek talks to Abram uh, and, you know, he he feeds Abram, he he blesses him, he gives the king of Sodom shows up right on Melchizedek's heels and he says, give me. And he says, give me specifically the people, keep the stuff for yourself, keep the possessions for yourself. But um, what that word there that's typically translated um, people is actually nephesh, which is the Hebrew word for souls. Okay. And that, uh, okay, difference in saying, give me the people, give me the souls. Yeah, one sounds creepy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so now we're looking at, we know the Rephaim are part of this. We know that there are spiritual entities uh, at work. and. This is Abraham actually standing up to claim the souls, to keep them from being reclaimed by evil. Hmm. And what I, I think that's, there's, there's so much, there's got to be more to that story. I want to know more. Right. Because the Bible just gives us this little bitty glimpse. And even, I didn't find even a lot of rabbinic tradition or any kind of Jewish writings to, to go into this that much. But I, that, there's something else there because we also know Abraham. Well, let me just read what Abraham has to say. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I swear to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth. I will not take so much as a thread or a sandal strap that of what is yours. You shall not say it is I who made Abram rich for me, nothing but what my servants have used up as for the share of the men who went with me, Anor, Eshkol and Mamre, let them take their share. So, um, which is really funny for Abraham to say that after he took all the stuff from Egypt, right? I mean, that that's always struck me as kind of funny. Well, and that that's the key because he goes from being this cowering wimp of a man who can't protect his own wife in Egypt mm-hmm. to to growing to a place that he can actually stand up and fight on the behalf of someone else mm-hmm. and refuse refuse riches mm-hmm. from illegitimate sources. But notice the words he used. And remember I said, creator of heaven and earth from Melchizedek, because first time it's used. Mm-hmm. God most high, first time that's used. 
Abraham turns around and uses God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, the exact same words. And so this blessing from Melchizedek isn't just, oh, here, let me make you feel better. He's really integrated that. Hmm. He yeah. has shifted. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a change in his personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has, he has shifted his perception of God. And in, in any time you shift your perception of God, you shift a perception of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's Melchizedek that allows Abram to, to take the stand. And I think, you know, that's really important. How many times, how many opportunities have we missed being able to bless someone and help them just because we aren't, we aren't watching for a chance to speak into their life and actually encourage them, not just to see God differently, but to grow closer to God mm-hmm. and I, I think that you know we need to take a cue and actually speaking, speaking truth, and you know, and that's the thing. Melchizedek's uh, blessing isn't that long. I think it's like uh, seven words or something in Hebrew. Uh, it, it's or seventeen words. It's not that long, and he doesn't say anything about Abraham except for the truth. Right. The only thing specifically about Abraham is that he's blessed, and God delivered the enemies into his hand. And it, it's not a sermon. It's not a lecture. It, it's just a blessing and some food. Yeah. And so when you compare and contrast the two, I think that's very, very interesting. Um, real quick, there is, um, this is retold. And I just want to point out that it's retold in Jethro. Uh, when mm-hmm. Moses yeah, yep. is with Jethro, we have another priest from outside of Israel. And now is, I don't know. This is probably answered somewhere. Um, is there speculation or evidence that Jethro was from the order of Melchizedek? There's definitely speculation, okay. um, but how accurate it is, that's really a good question. Right. And so we have to be really careful um, saying it's definite, but well, we do know, yeah, yeah it, there's a possibility. But I think the really cool thing, there's actually even speculation that Jethro originally was not a priest. To, okay. mo- uh, to God himself, that he was just a priest, and he kind of functioned on behalf of whatever uh, God was in the area. And then after he saw what had happened with leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, he actually makes the declaration, now I know that this is the one true God. That's kind of funny because it's, it's almost uh, like army chaplains. Right. You have to be ready to, for whatever denomination. That's actually really accurate because they... They are an army on the move. Yeah. Or they're on their way to becoming an army on the move. Yeah. So that, yeah, when you said that, you know, he just kind of functioned for whatever, he's ready to inter- intercede for whatever God's available. Yeah. Uh, that sounds so <laughs> weird. But, uh, but yeah, that, so yeah, I thought that parallel might, does that? Yeah. I, I, no, it actually really works because I think um, one of the cool things about Jethro is he is so instrumental in helping Moses figure out who he is and what he is. Because mm-hmm. Abraham's story is all about separation. It's all about moving away from the land he was from, leaving his father, and he's going to be called to leave Lot pretty quick. Um, but then there's, um, he's, he's trying to figure out who he is as an individual. Where Moses, on the other hand, he has been separated from his family since he's little. Mm-hmm. He grew up as a misfit in Pharaoh's courts, you know, probably loved and whatever. Cause right. then, but at the same time, 
you know, anyone who's been adopted or been in a, a family that's not really their family, mm-hmm. there's the, there's that little bit of disconnect that can sometimes occur. Sure. And especially where he came from, quote unquote, an inferior race, that had to be amplified. And then when he tried to go right. back According to- According the Egyptians, not us. Right, right. That's re- quote unquote, yeah. And so, but then, um, then when he tried to go back and rejoin the Hebrew people, they didn't want him either. Right. Right. And so he spends his whole life trying to figure out how to be a part of the family. And that's what Jethro tries to teach Moses. So mm-hmm. Melchizedek continues to encourage the, the separation. Don't become a part of this culture of Sodom. Don't, don't be adopted and grafted into it by mm-hmm. accepting the riches. And, Moses, and Jethro tells Moses, hey, you need a family. You need support. You need backup. And you need someone who can help you shelter this load. Yeah. And so it, it, it's that retelling where you have that subversive sequel. Yep. So No, that's cool. I like that. That's, it, it's, that's a lot of fun. And I, I can't, I actually, I, I'm excited to get to some of the Moses stuff later on. Um, uh, yeah. But I mean, we're, and you know, and we're, we're moving through this pretty quick. We're not going verse by verse. I mean, we're, we're oh, oh. <laughs> it, my brain's not equipped for that. Well, you know, when I, when I teach it, uh, Old Testament lit, I always spend the first two hours of lecture time on Genesis 1-1. Yeah. Just to show students how, how far we can break it down. And, you know, after they're freaked out that we're going to try to go through the entire Bible that way. Yep. Then I, then I pull it back. Because, yeah, we can only hit the high points. Because this, this book, I mean, there's just so much in it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the fun part. So, you know, I can get lost in the minutia and bore everybody else to death, but I'd be happy. Yeah, well... <laughs> That's that's a good thing I'm here because I'm into this stuff too. So, <laughs> you know, if you're you know if you're talking to me, I'll I'll, I'll hang out. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a choice. <laughs> well, you know, you need a babysitter for your kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to take you up on that some weekend when you're in. We this weekend got so busy. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Anyway, um, but speaking of the weekend, I don't know. The weeks. It's about time for us to sign off for the week. Mm-hmm. Terrible transition, I know. But um, anyway, we're going to pick this up next week. Um, back with uh, still with Abraham. Mm-hmm. This will be what three, four weeks in a row now. Yeah, but he's worth it. Yeah, I mean, he had a long life. There's lots to tell. So anyway, uh, for those of you listening, uh, thank you so much. If um, if you like us, please hit subscribe. Come back and listen next week. Um, please again, share with your friends. That is again, the, I was actually, I saw, uh, I saw a meme the other day that was like, if you have an artist or creative friend, the best thing you can ever do for them, if you, if you want to support them and don't have money to buy their stuff, just share, 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 just become their fan. Mm -hmm. So, um, and those of you fans that we already have, and I hate to even use that word because y'all are, y'all are just great friends. We, yep. we appreciate everything you're doing. Absolutely. But. Yeah, it's, it's a huge help. Uh, we, we appreciate even, even the little notes uh, of just you know, telling us what you're getting out of the show. Mm-hmm. Man, that, the fact that, we, that it's kind of coming around that you know, we're not just randomly babbling, which sometimes we may be. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for that. And um, but yeah, if you like us, please share. Um, if you really, really like us, uh, Hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC. Get your Raven Creek shirt. Uh, yeah, hit up the store. Um, that's a, you can find that at ravencreek.com, ravencreeksc.com. Sorry, I've got a little shop link there now. Um, 
And then uh, what else? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, come hang out. Be part of the conversation. Let us know you're there. We just like to hear that you're there. <laughs> yeah, let us let us know you're listening. If you, and again, questions, comments, um, anything like that, just give us a shout. We we love to hear from you. Because I'll point out real quick, these last four weeks with Abram started with a question from Joe. Yep. So you guys can really help drive the show. Yep, absolutely. This is it's not just our show; it's your show too. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, thank you again, and I guess until next time, uh, have a great week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes, or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us next week.